We're going to talk about Doctor Who because this is the podcast pull to open. It is two guys who uh, really love Doctor Who, even though it might be hard to tell sometimes. Um, <laughs> and we thought, I guess, you know, this is a really strange situation the world's in. Um, mm. Doctor Who has been in many situations <laughs> that are very weird, um, but it hasn't really dealt with disease head on quite so much. And right. um, I think we were sort of brainstorming over text on like, what's a what's a what's the Doctor Who disease episode? What would that be? Yeah, what's what's the pandemic episode? I, I actually asked you this because your your knowledge of uh, Doctor Who is more encyclopedic than, than than mine is these days. Yeah, and, and there uh, isn't. I gotta say, I, I racked my brains, and there isn't really like the outbreak episode. Now, there's there's a bunch of stuff mm. that has elements of it, and um, I actually my my thoughts kind of went to Inferno, uh, a mm-hmm. Pertwee episode that is really more of a zombie episode, you know? So it's like there is an outbreak and, and people sort of slowly get this zombified and turn into these weird uh, sort of Neanderthal, green Neanderthal creatures that just want to kill everybody. And that's like, yeah, eh, this, you know, that's like... Diseases a, in Doctor Who definitely affect you physically, as, as we'll we'll find out with, yeah. with this episode. It's, well, it's a little weird. Well, this is the thing. I, I, the only time that I sort of went head on with, with talking about germs was an episode uh, in... Tom Baker in the Tom Baker era called Invisible Enemy or The Invisible Enemy. Mm. Yes. Um, so, which is kind of, I mean, all, all classic Doctor Who is kind of infamous in one way or yes. another one. Uh, but this uh, is super infamous. This one, yeah, this is a, totally in particular is is a is a really great example of, oh my god. <laughs> but it's like I remember as a kid, it was pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and kind of terrifying in some levels. So. Uh, it's it's anyway. still a little terrifying in some ways. Rewatching it, it's yeah. it's very odd. But I mean, but I should also point out that it's like like we're on the cutting edge here because it was around about the same time that we were talking about this was when uh, the president decided that he was going to start talking about the invisible enemy. Right. Um, and there have been a number of stories about this about how he's using the phrase over and over again. Uh, I'm guessing that he was not inspired by a classic Doctor Who, but it is. It's definitely a phrase that's getting a lot of currency right now. So a great time to be watching The Invisible Enemy. Yeah. So if you're Googling it, I don't even know if the episode appears, like the Doctor Who episode appears on the first page of your it, Google it results. Is. It's, does it still? It, Good. It's it's the very first result for me, uh, right awesome. above a political story, Politico story on on why, why is Trump using the phrase of The Invisible Enemy? Right above that, The Invisible Enemy, Doctor Who so TV series. all you guys at BritBox, that's what's driving your subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> it's that people are googling this and they want to know more about what trump's talking about and they're accidentally subscribing to britbox so they can they can watch the invisible enemy and they're like what is oh this? my god yeah um, i mean as soon as you mentioned it just just to tell the story of how we, we decided to watch this as soon as you mentioned it i realized that this is probably one of the earlier shows that i ever saw at the time yeah, uh, I mean, I saw. It, I didn't see it like when it was first broadcast, but mm. it, it is actually. I, I remember it was one of the first episodes of Doctor Who I saw. Yeah, um, it was probably like the third complete story, and and I've said this before. So when I when I started watching Doctor Who, it was on PBS, and it was it was being broadcast in sort of two different ways. So it was the daily uh, episodes were uh, Peter Davison, and I sort of mm. picked up then at Modern Undead. But on the weekends, they do a complete Tom Baker story. And I think one of the first ones I saw was 
um, Deadly Assassin, and then it was uh, a couple. This was like two after that, I think. Right. So it was like the horror of Fang Rock, or two or three, and then an Invisible Enemy. So it was like within the first month of my Doctor Who watching, I, I was watching Invisible Enemy. It is. It's a great one to pick. I, I think, uh, even though it just it doesn't make any sense, it doesn't hang together as a story. Um, it it is a fantastically cheesy fever dream. Yeah. Of of a story well, arc. And extremely notable for the first appearance of K9. Yes. Um, which uh, you know, I I was actually kind of fascinated how you, the the beats and the relationship there between the Doctor and K Nine and sort of his use as a plot device are essentially unchanged, you know, throughout mm. to to the present day. Um, pretty much, pretty much. So so should we should we go through and sort of uh, discuss it. it as as if we were recapping a recent? I think I think that's a way. That's the great way to go. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you're open up. We open up and got man. It was great to sort of just watch uh, that opening. By the way, the the Tom Baker opening, which I hadn't seen in a while. Oh. Just one of the one of the best, if not the best. I mean, I'll always have a special place for the Davison one because it's so mm-hmm. '80s and so different, and it was my first time ever seeing the show. But um, I mean, the Baker the, one is so yeah. The Davison so one was Davison one was very disco. Yeah, it was like I've I've got I've got uh, disco ball reflections in my eyes as I yeah. yeah. But the but the Baker one was like just this wide you're wide screen you're in a tunnel, here comes the TARDIS. It used to terrify me as a kid. Yeah, well, I also love it how it sort of teases you with those sort of side rails at first, and just mm. slowly, you know what I mean? Like it's like oh, like the, the lights are slowly coming on, you know, and then da da da, and then it sort of you know envelops you, and then you're kind of it's coming forward, and then the logo is going backward, and it's like. It's all making sense, even though it's contradictory, and and it's very very cool. I I would always, I mean, I was hiding by the behind the couch at that intro. Yeah, it would it would just terror. Something's happening. Finally, I don't know why. So in this one, we have the intro, and you kind of go right to um, this shuttle, and you kind of go mm. right into some classic seventies Doctor Doctor Who effects of a shuttle and some asteroids, which it's all very like right away. Like I I gotta confess, I, I started watching this with my kids. And my ten-year-old yeah. son, who loves the new Doctor Who, just kind of was like, "I'm out of here." Shuttle <laughs> <laughs> he on a string. I'm out of here. <laughs> he's like, "No, I don't want to watch this." And I was like, "All right." I mean, maybe it someday. Is so, it's so wonderfully bad. The model work in this episode. Uh, so, so a couple of things we should say about that. First of all, I, I looked it up, and apparently, this was the most model work that they'd done in any Doctor Who serial up until this point. You, you can kind of tell, and you, well, you know, the the it's it's you really got to put yourself back in the seventies and like yeah. realize, wow, this was this was a working really hard and doing a lot. I mean, you know, like you just <laughs> there's no industrial light and magic. It's it's before Star Wars, before everything, but well, they are really trying. So that's the other thing, actually, is this was this was made in April nineteen seventy seven. Oh, um, so like a month before. Yeah, so Industrial Light Magic was actually there. They, they, <laughs> they had, in the previous months, been struggling to get the effects finished for Star Wars um, uh, with, with no idea. You know, like Nobody knew until you saw it on the screen how it would turn out. But the, when you put those models next to <laughs> Doctor Who, dangling a shuttle on a string, yeah. uh, it just it's, it shows you how amazing star wars was to, to people of the time because that's 
you know, Doctor Who was represented the science fiction that we were used to. Uh, and then Star Wars comes in with this amazing sort of computer control cameras and just blows all of that away. So Yeah, well it's like uh, I, I would always say about dog, classic Doctor Who. Yeah, it's it's good, but they made they literally made it on like five dollars an episode. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and they did Which their best. Why... They, well the great thing is they did their best and they took it seriously. They and did. And that was And right. this is why I mean Canine wouldn't have been a companion had they not been so cheap. Yeah, uh, because they they needed to reuse K nine and other serials to justify the cost of building K nine. Totally, so. yeah, that makes sense. K nine actually looks quite good. Yes, um, so but he doesn't come into our narrative at first. It's... So we have the shuttle, and there's there's a lot of weirdness going on. Um, the tone. What I liked was that the guys are very. The tone is very urgent, and. Mm. Um, which was very good, and so they they have the 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 three astronauts sort of on the bridge of this shuttle, and two of them are like resting. It seems like, and they do that very kind of movie thing. It's probably a real life thing too, where everyone has their names very prominently on their spacesuits. And yep. um, I got to say, I don't know where they got that font. I just like I was I was, what is that font they had? They, the it's font like it's like it's fantastic, isn't it? It's- I, I gotta figure out what it it's is. It's so seventies. It's so bad. The fact I mean... that they have, and you sort of start to realize about I don't know, fifteen twenty minutes in, that they're spelling everything phonetically. Right, like exit, uh, like exit. <laughs> you, like, is, is this some reference to the eggs that are going to show up? No, it's just that they're spelling everything phonetically in the entire show in this amazing seventies font, and it's very, I mean, it's so seventies in so many ways. I mean, first of all. Costumes looked like they were rejected from Logan's Run, yeah. uh, or maybe like a very cheap uh, fan-made version of 2001. But I like uh, I like everyone's taken seriously. Like I mean, this is and and the the tone is very urgent and mm. the it it gets grim and interesting pretty quickly. Like they're on the um, they're on the radio with whoever's down in the hold and. You know that the, basically the shuttle passes through the space cloud because that's how <laughs> bad things happened in the seventies. Your your shuttle in space would pass through a space yep. cloud and something would get on board, and then that's they're, they're on the radio people. to somebody and they get they just say something cryptic, which is always a great device. And they've actually used it even in the new series to great effect. But when that voice comes on and just says contact has been made, you're just <laughs> like you really just stop and you're just like wait what was that. Mm. Um, and it, 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 you think about it like the new series. If you remember, um, that show, the, what was it, The Impossible Planet? Uh, where yes. the, where, where it was the planet orbiting it's, the black hole, and the mm-hmm. Satan pit, and there was, there was some bit in there where it's, I think it was actually the computer or some voice over the radio that just said he is awake, you know, and mm. it's just it's just a weird, creepy thing to say, to hear on the radio. I mean that it's just that horror movie device of like. The strange thing, saying yes. a strange phrase, and they re- they repeat contact has been made throughout the episode when whenever they get infected by the virus, which is a you know a great argument for social distancing. <laughs> uh, do not make contact. Hundred um, <laughs> percent. And secondly, it's got that kind of it's got what um, uh, Russell T Davies called repeatability. Right when right. he was uh, when he read the the writer's tale, he talks about when he's in the middle of writing. Um, Voyage of the Damned, and he's like, "Oh, I've just had this great idea that those those angel robots are going to say uh, information before everything, 
And he's like that. I like that. It's got great repeatability. You can imagine kids on the playground saying, you know, information, you're going to die. Right. Right. And, well, I was and, a kid on the playground, and I, I, yep. know, I don't know if I was saying contact has been made, but I, I'm pretty sure I was doodling <laughs> it in a notebook here and there. <laughs> contact has been made. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, they, at least they stick with it. It's about the only thing that they stick through a uh, uh, an arc, which we should say is sort of kind of like three Doctor Who stories stitched together. Like it's a base under siege yeah. in the first episode, and then it's future hospital you know future general hospital in the second episode and, and then, then it's... it's corridors in the third episode except the corridors of the doctor's brain <laughs> of course his brain is full yeah. of corridors well I, this is why i like i like this kind of doctor who and there was a lot of them actually in the baker era where it sort of looks like it's going in one direction and then goes in a, completely in another direction mm. but they're it's they're kind of just as interesting and you're like oh okay that's kind of cool um right. so so it does kind of surprise you uh throughout um, so a few couple things, notes about the first episode. So he, this is apparently the first episode where he goes back to the, the, the standard control room. Yes. Cause they mentioned that cause Leela, he had been using the, the backup control room, which was like more of the era, more Victorian esque and dusty. And so he goes back to the standard control room and he says something that's really funny. It's like, um, he makes some reference to oh, it's white. It's white. There's no decor. Yeah, there's no imagination. The TARDIS says no imagination because it was redecorating the room or something. Mm. And what about aquamarine? What about blue? And I'm just like, <laughs> well, is he foreshadowing the, uh, the Eggleston tenant, the TARDIS there? You know, like yeah. or maybe did Davies sort of look at this for some inspiration? Give it a few generations, Doctor, and you'll you'll get there. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I love that idea. That is now in my head canon that the the TARDIS was actually listening yeah. and uh, storing up its budget. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, another note, he says something that has been contradicted in virtually every other episode of Doctor Who, which is that this is 5000 AD and it's the year of the Great Breakout when the human mm. race, you know, emerges from the solar system, which every other episode about the future is basically contradicted, saying that they they have they have broken out well before 5000 AD. But hey, whatevs, man. You know, it's not like yeah, 5000 been... AD was was a very weird uh, date to choose, and I, I gotta, I gotta figure that the writers just sort of stuck a pin in a uh, a list of future dates and came up with that one. It well, doesn't feel particularly far futureish. Well, I gotta say, it, as a date to pick for when humans emerge, you know, leave the solar system, it's probably a little, little safer than what Star Trek went with. You know, like mm. you know, we'll probably come up on the Star Trek stuff fairly soon, <laughs> and then you're like, well, where's the warp drive, guys? Yep. And, you know, that we're given, Doctor Who's at least given it a few extra thousand years to work with. It. Exactly. We, we've got 3,000 years of wiggle room, which is great. I'm sure that we can leave the solar system by then. Yeah. So, okay. So we, um, the, the, the shuttle ends up uh, going to Titan, which is some mm. sort of nice solar system verisimilitude, I guess. And <laughs> it lands and the uh, shuttle crew, which is now taken over by the virus and they're all contact has been made, uh, does a little uh, does a little shooting up of everyone yep. on the uh, on the other side. Now, this is very creepy and very good, though it doesn't really make a ton of sense because why wouldn't they just do the whole contact has been made kind of thing with those guys? Right. There's the, the inconsistencies in this entire serial are legion and they, and they kind of stop there. Uh, yeah, or start and I, there. And I, I forgive you, forgive him because it's like, 
you're you're slowly getting into your story and and to sort of do the infection thing right off the bat um I, you know i get that they're just right now they're trying to be you know creepy and serious and you know yeah let's just kill a bunch of people but in in the story and it doesn't make any sense also budget minded because you know kill off as many extras as possible <laughs> uh <laughs> those poor, those poor extras uh, and, and of course, we should note, you know, they, they're all, you know, white upper class British males, uh, yeah, of because course. of course, who who else would explore space? Who else would be working at the BBC in nineteen seventy seven? So Leela has this crazy intuition because they they send out one of the last guys who hasn't been infected or killed on the base sends out a mayday, uh, and Leela Leela's intuition, her spider sense goes into way overdrive here, mm. and is just like. She's she's so she's so troubled as she says she's she becomes a mouse for a couple seconds on the floor of the TARDIS TARDIS and and chewing on the doctor's scarf which yeah, is a is little that, interesting. Is that a thing in other serials like does she ever use the scarf as no, as a security blanket anywhere no, else? No, I, I don't I don't recall that. I just feel like this is probably I guess one of the earlier Leela episodes and they're 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 kind of Trying to show her alienness, which is it's kind of okay, you know, like in that mm-hmm. in that context, they're trying to show like she's not an alien; she's actually human from you know descended way in the future, I believe. Um, but they're trying to show like just how different she is, and that she this is not Sarah Jane, right? Like she, yeah, she's very consciously not Sarah Jane, and so they're trying. Which to is look... it's definitely a step backwards, Doctor Who. I mean, love love Louise Jameson, but my goodness, the the Leela character, you know, going from Sarah Jane to Leela is. Uh, a, a step backwards in in uh, in you know uh, in the very seventies fight for women's rights and equality and you know going from a uh, professional journalist to a uh, a savage who wears almost nothing and carries a knife and and is is basically insulted throughout the invisible enemy as yeah. not very intelligent. I, I would I would definitely say this is not her best. Um, yeah. I'd have to disagree with you a bit. I don't. I don't necessarily. I think they're very different. I. I never thought of Leela as necessarily like not a strong female character. Um, I mm. think she's different. I think in there, there is more room to interpret her as, um, in some cases. And this was definitely not. This is definitely one of them in terms of like like you can interpret her in, in, in sort of a negative and like they're they're showing her. Oh yeah, she. She doesn't know much and reacts weirdly, and even the doctor kind of treats her badly here and there. Yeah, um, which was, I think, again, I think, I think that can work in some places, but I always, I, I never really like. I always thought sort of Leela had a different way of owning a scene, and it's mm-hmm. usually with her knife, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, trying to cut through a lot of aristocratic bullshit with her, um her ability to just sort of battering ram through things um, like robots of death was, a, was a, I think a good example of that, but we're mm. here in invisible enemy and you're right. <laughs> and and, <laughs> she's, and she's, she, not she's great. learned to write as well. Well, uh, yeah. And this is the thing. Cause later on she's, she's, I mean, we will get to it, but she's like piloting the TARDIS later. I mean like, okay, <laughs> we'll get to that. But so she's, she's a quick study. So the TARDIS goes through the same cloud that mm-hmm. the shuttle did and then contact has been made again on the doctor yes. this time the doctor which... is infected but but he's an asymptomatic spreader exactly like it's, it's like right off the bat which i was i was like wow you know I, I kind of forgot that he's like oh wow yeah he's infected right away 
but yeah, you're right. It's like he's kind of fading in and out of it. Like he's a little bit the bad guy, and that he's not. Mm. Um, but but the but the trick is he's he's sort of more infected than the other guys. Like yes. there's there's a nucleus to this whole disease, like a queen per se, and it's in him. It's it's of course chosen the intellect of the doctor as the ideal place for this. Now, right here, I would need to sort of open up a bit on like, and, and let's try to unpack what this thing is. Cause it's never really clear. I mean, it becomes clearer later that it's physical, but like they, they speak a lot about it being this energy thing. And it looks like it's being transmitted through like lightning bolts. Yes. Um, yeah, very, very, uh, Emperor Palpatine style lightning bolts. So shooting so out of eyes. And... As, as we find later, it, there is a physical component to the nucleus, but like, what, what is this thing? <laughs> like that's that's kind of like ultimately what it, like they call it a virus, but it's clearly yes. intelligent. So it it, just it's a, a novel virus. virus. We don't we don't know uh, how it originated, and it just sort of yeah, it's it's the nucleus of the swarm, as we later find out. But we don't right. really know what the swarm is. We don't. Yeah, it's not not the most well drawn monster in the history of who. Yeah, and it's somehow transmitted via sort of electricity of some form. Um, okay, fair enough. And so, <laughs> but you notice they're always standing within six feet when when the virus yep. is transmitted. So again, right. this is this is very good uh, education. basic stuff. People they clearly <laughs> didn't live through twenty twenty. Yeah, and and the doctor once infected fails to self isolate. Yeah, hundred percent. He leaves the TARDIS. So uh, and Leela Leela is exposed, mm. and she's apparently rejected. Though they don't know that. Um. But they were uh, – so they, they end up coming to the base on Titan because, of course, that's where the distress call came from. This is actually right when my seven-year-old daughter, who was actually – I have to confess, was watching it with me. I didn't mm-hmm. make her do it, but, you know, she's seven. She just kind of does what I'm doing. So <laughs> she, she was okay with the bad models. Well, she, she was okay, but she was, she was a little scared throughout the whole thing, which I think, mm. one, I'm a bad father. Two um, – <laughs> Doctor Who can still do the trick, you know, like yep. 40 years later. Um, so she started hiding her face in, in, in either me or the couch as uh, right at this point. Aww. And uh, the eye thing with the weird makeup around the eyes and the, the lightning bolts going eye to eye, man, I find that I found that like really scary as a kid. It uh, is so bizarre. The, the, the fact that this, this virus gives you immediate weird eyebrows. <laughs> Uh, that that's the main symptom. Well, and then the main and, physical symptom. And for the doctor, it's like uh, they had to do it on his arms because for the mm. for the first the, the episode one cliffhanger, because they have to do a essentially a close up of his hand as he holds up the gun where bad doctor is going to shoot Leela, and they have to sort of remind everyone he's he's infected. Well, his face isn't in the shot. So they're like, hmm, let's get some hair on the wrists. That same hair on the on the on the eyes. Let's put that on the wrists there. It's like, I was oh. say, in in terms of scary uh, scary stuff that happens to the Doctor. Uh, I don't know if you remember Meglos. Uh, oh, I remember Meglos. Seasons after this. Oh my goodness, the Doctor turns into a cactus. I mean, that was just that was super scary. Yeah, and I remember that, and maybe that uh, raised over the memory of the scary white eyebrows. Well, I gotta say, and I, Tom Baker is very good at playing bad Tom Baker. Mm. Uh, like I, he's so smiley and fun and warm most of the time. Um, 
So when he becomes sort of evil Tom Baker, uh, it's pretty good because he's he's more of like a cold, like facsimile of his goofballness, mm. and it's it's just he knows how to do it in a way that is just slightly off, that makes you like gonna go kind of just go. Ugh. You know, he has so much variety in his voice that it's it's nice to see him get to use that and play a couple of characters and a couple of versions of the Doctor. So that is that is where we end episode one, right? That's the cliffhanger. Scary Doctor is about Leela, to, and then yeah. he does not, or he kind of like he resisted enough to warn her and ends up shooting the wall, and then he puts himself into a coma. Uh, to <laughs> which you know, like okay, you're you've got a crazy virus in you that's. Um, kind of taking you over and uh, as we find out later it's feeding on your intellect and you know if you're awake and fighting it it's actually getting stronger so that mm-hmm. all kind of makes sense uh, and then they start to ask one of the, the big question that comes up which I, you um, which will play a factor a big factor later actually the way it's it's really hit here you think it's going to play a bigger factor is Leela really hits this like Louise Jameson, like really nails this line. Like, why not me? Why, why is mm. she not uh, infected? You know, like why is she immune to this virus? Um, and so that does that does sort of come in later on, but it, it becomes kind of a it's a thing the doctor just kind of says. I think like in episode two or, or or three, and then is just later confirmed. But he says like, oh, it's because you know she's all instinct and intuition, right. and this thing feeds on intellect. Um, and he then, has the diagnosis. Yeah, that's basically the diagnosis. And then, and Marius. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so what's what became unclear here in, in episode two for me was that uh, there's the the guy Low. He was mm-hmm. the guy who was not infected for a while, and then he becomes infected. But that guy acts like his old self really, really well, whereas. <laughs> the other guys we've seen infected up until this point haven't. And you're kind of like, you're still thinking like, well, wait a minute, are these guys, do, do these infected people still have access to their memories and personality or are they just like sort of zombies? Yeah. Uh, and and he has, he has the wit to, to hide his scary white eyebrows under a, a blast shield. Yeah. Which just, just adds the wonderful scene as, as we enter a space hospital. Right. Uh, the, the, the TARDIS, <laughs> uh, Leela take him there to to get a proper diagnosis. The nearest like, space. Leela, who who is barely writing her name in cursive, twenty <laughs> minutes ago, is going to the tart, and it's, it's totally off camera. Like you're just suddenly at this hospital. Just doctor, give me the coordinates, and he sort of speaks the coordinates, and then presumably she just goes in, oh, types them in, no problem. Mm. And it's like, yes. okay, I, I'm sure it's just voice activated TARDIS, and uh, you know, it, it allowed Leela to press a few buttons so that she could feel she was doing it, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> the yeah. first of many, uh, or the second or the third of many inconsistencies so in they the get, show. They get, to, they get to Space Hospital, and well, clearly the Space Hospital has gotten its shipment of Apple face shields. <laughs> so so they're fine. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, see, they, they've all got PPE in, yeah. in this hospital. They're, they're very well decked out in just wonderful vinyl green Lots of vinyl green. Is, the secretary yes. takes all of Leela's notes. She's she's very efficient, and she speaks about the doctor getting datalized, which I, I was kind of <laughs> hoping Brent Spiner was going to be involved somehow, but it was a number of years too early for that. 
potatoized. Yes, and and the, the, there's that brief, that brief joke which sort of gets stepped on of the the doctors from Ireland or Gallifrey. Gallifrey is an <laughs> island. Is that an island? It's yeah. a very very odd uh, uh, piece of dialogue. It's the kind of thing like I I remember the hospital scene was the first thing where I was like I I remember seeing this in seventy seven or actually more likely seventy eight. I looked it up and that's when the BBC repeated it. That's probably when I watched it. 77, I was probably a little too young. 78, that was right around when I started watching it. And I, I just, I remember the hospital. And, and that that's where the memory started to kick in. And yeah. at that age, you're sort of thinking that, well, this must make sense to adults, right? <laughs> you're like, Getting well, this, this can't. This can't be as nonsensical as it appears to me because, you know, I'm a child and the entire world seems it's nonsensical. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get the rules. You know, th- this must be smarter than it appears, right? And, <laughs> and then you watch <laughs> and it now? again. And now? You're like, nope. No, this it's... is just, this is exactly what I thought it was as a kid. A series of random, you know, vaguely connected images uh, that just sort of looked like this wonderful yeah, interla- Interlaced with technobabble. Yes. Um, one thing that does hold up, though, is, of course, K-9, as we've said already. And it's yes. K-9, from the first scene, he's already the smartest character in the room. Um, he's already that lovable, oblivious dog when he's like, uh, he has that some response to a query like, where's he from? From beyond the solar system. <laughs> like, all right. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, dog. Yeah. Thanks, K nine. <laughs> yeah, he's so he's supposed to have all of Professor Marius's uh, knowledge in his right. databanks. He, uh, I, uh, so it becomes a plot point later on that that he runs out of charge. Yes, which, which is a repeated which I plot think point. It's like <laughs> when when I so I actually went back and and showed my wife the K nine episodes because uh, we like we all actually, the original ones. Uh, no, well, the the, the canine scenes from the Invisible Enemy, ah. uh, because she she was not watching this with me, but she's a big fan of canine. We've actually helped to build a canine. No, uh, a giant one. Yes. Wow. Uh, All right, we're going on a it, side tangent now. It's it's, well, it's well worth to. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's well worth it. It's uh, it actually went to Burning Man. Oh wow! And... A, a giant can? How big is a giant canine? Give me giant. It was about it was about the size of a car. Uh, I can send you pictures. Yeah, you got to send me the pics, man. (laughs) You've been holding out on me. Burning Man K9. I love it. Yeah, and it had a lot of pre-recorded, like we we got a voice that sounded a little like John Leeson, you know, and he would would say things like, yes, the ears went, the tail went. uh, And he would say things like, sensors detect a disturbing amount of dubstep, master. Um, Something about John Leeson's master. (laughs) Master. Master. Like only he he could he has those beats like only he says it the way he says it and like uh thank goodness we still got him, you know. Like John Leeson's still going strong and, and we can keep doing more canine stuff for a, a while. But, but canine like, does a f- couple of things in these fir- first scenes that I don't think we ever see him do again. Um I know for a as. fact it's, it's the first time that you see something on his on the screen on his side. Right. Um, you see, briefly see some squiggly lines on you the screen. Do. You also never for ever good... in K9's run ever again. Yeah, I is don't, anything on that screen? I don't think we have. You're right. And, and mm. also from I think scene one, you get, mm. and I think we've seen this here and there in in a few places. But we uh, throughout 
invisible enemy, there is some some paper hanging out of his sort of printout <laughs> mouth, right? And yes. it's it's just there. And I think they kind of like left that there as kind of like, oh, that's his that's like his tongue. He's you know, or uh, that right. you know, he's like But it's not. But it's not. And so, but I think they they kind of wisely were like, Yeah, that that doesn't really work. Let's well, just we, not we should say it in those in those first scenes, it's take a tape. That actually, <laughs> it's, he's producing. It's the fifty-first century, and he is producing ticker tape out of his mouth, uh, and that's how they they read out his diagnosis, I guess. Yeah, they gotta wonder who the futurist was on these shows uh, back in the day. I mean, <laughs> it's probably the same guy who, in uh, For Your Eyes Only, had uh, the James Bond watch that would do the label maker message <laughs> out to uh, to Roger Moore. But uh, have we have we ever seen? canine actually charge like he, he runs out of juice later on which made you know made me think when i went back and watched those scenes like i, I had charge anxiety i'm like <laughs> plug that dog in you know it's like <laughs> Eddie, it's got to be some kind of wireless charging system because he's never <laughs> there's never the r2d2 thing that just whips out and he's like all right mm. gonna plug into the power socket right See, you know BC he, he and, does yeah. have that thing that comes out of his nose when he, when he's trying to threaten yeah, well, that's that's, that's his little laser thingy, which he uses a lot. Yes, in 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 this uh, story. So okay, so from the first scene with K nine, um, the doctor sits up for a bit, and and right away the doctor's showing some affection for him. He's he's sort of, you know, mouthing his his little is puckering up a little bit. Oh, good dog. Um, you know, you're foreshad it's foreshadowing a little bit. You can see that that something's happening here. Mm. <laughs> a little little man and his best friend. Um, indeed, uh, Leela likes him too. Uh, but there's a well, one once, actually... once they get over that initial, yeah, basically, K9 does the equivalent of barking at her, which I think, as, as, as the owner of a, of a two year old dog who we've, we've had to deal with a lot of barking issues, I wish that our dog's equivalent of barking was just saying, Stay away, I have offensive capabilities. Yeah, I, I thought that was just such a wonderful uh way of projecting kind of dog-like behavior onto a robot dog from the future. So he clearly has this personality right from the start. Yeah, so they they, they have that sort of, you know, little intra-companion tension from the, from the get-go. Mm. Uh, Leela, I guess, was uh, referred to, I think Marius refers to her as like the doctor's aide at one point, which is kind of a new <laughs> one. Good, good down. <laughs> And one of the first things Marius does is insult Leela's intelligence, basically, right? He, yeah. he he spews some techno babble at her, and when she, you know, says what we would all say, which is what, he's like, "Oh yeah, oh yes, maybe the doctor's right. It does affect intelligence," <laughs> and and we're supposed to laugh at that, right? It's it's a joke at the expense of Leela being stupid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the, there's some weird, uh, yeah, that, that not 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 Louise Jameson's best out in here no uh, no, but no i'm I, gonna have wrote, to watch extra i wrote in my notes here and i think I'm, I'm talking about how low is talking about so so the the bad guys are on on the the um the hospital because low low has now started infecting people and he's he's loose and uh i wrote here he's a good ceo because he has very focused objectives. One, <laughs> guard the nucleus. Two, make contact with the best minds. Yeah. Uh, actually, I forget if this is lower the nucleus itself, but it's like, we're like, okay, guys, 
I know there was really crazy, a lot of things happening. We're focused on two things. There are only two jobs we have. Guard <laughs> the nucleus and make contact with the best minds. Right. Go. Break. Yeah. And his, his recruitment is just top notch. Uh, he just he gets all, all the best doctors yeah. on his side. Right away. Immediately. And they, they, they uh, get him over like by saying, oh, you'll be fascinated by this crazy unique case here. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> oh. Wow. By the way, the, sure. the guy who plays Low, Michael Sheard, he's not only been in, in Doctor Who six times, uh, but he was in, there was a period in the 70s and 80s where he was in everything on on the BBC. Nice. Um, I I remember him from a few things. He's also Admiral Ozzel in The Empire Strikes Back. No way. Yes, he's not. the guy who gets uh, force choked. Um, and, uh, you know, has this amazing death scene. Uh, so he's, you know, he's obviously, <laughs> you know, even as Star Wars prepares to, uh, you know, hove into view across the horizon, here he is, uh, interviewing for a, wow. uh, basically showing his chops for a role in the sequel. Well, he went from good virus CEO to incompetent admiral. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's interesting. It's his rumor. range. He's got range. He does. But yeah, he was he was in the Ark from 1966. He's in the Mind of Evil, 1971. Wow, he's uh, a, he's a real Doctor Who that guy. Yeah, he's he was in Pyramids of Mars. He's in Castro Valva. Oh, I do remember and Pyramids of Mars. He's he's good. He emotes very well. I got to say. Yeah, yeah, and and he's got he's got, he has that wonderful plummy, uh, you know, slightly bad guy British accent and that wonderful you know thin mustache. Which just guarantees you all the villain roles. So absolutely. Uh, so maybe not his best out. Yeah. For for whatever reason, what I didn't really get. There's this big crash. So some shuttle crashes into the hospital to create, you know, some chaos and some tension. Um, it's clearly like the the uh, the nucleus has arranged it, or I guess it's the shuttle from before that they. I don't know. It's, it's never really clear. Um, exactly why or how that happens? Uh, maybe it was to you. Maybe I was just slow. But I no. I uh, <laughs> at a certain point I stopped looking for for logic from this story because it's like and... if it was the if it was the virus's plan, if it was the nucleus's plan. Like it actually impedes the bad guys quite a bit because they can now they can't get to the doctor in on some level and they can't protect the nucleus. They can't do job one on the CEO list. They they can't get to that key result. <laughs> Of protecting the nucleus, and it gives, <laughs> it, it gives the doctor time to do the very logical plan. I'm sure that we would all do is clone yourself and inject yourself into your brain to to deal with this problem. Well, but, you know, but let's he he puts in the work. Let's not forget he asks <laughs> canine, has cloning been invented yet? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, which is like one of those great first Doctor Canine connections. Oh. My goodness. He's like, oh, God, this dog is good. He's, you know, he's my Wikipedia <laughs> from now on. But, yeah, the, the cloning and the shrinking, it is as if suddenly the the writers uh, just watched uh, Fantastic Voyage uh, about yeah. halfway through writing episode two of Invisible Enemy. And they're like, that that's what we're going to do. Uh, which I can believe because I, I remember Fantastic Voyage was on the BBC like pretty much nonstop throughout the seventies, it it feels like in in my memory they broadcast it once every week, um, which is 
kind of odd. Uh, it was a movie oh. from 1966. Have, have you seen Fantastic Voyage? Uh, sadly, they they did not broadcast it at all in Canada, <laughs> as far as I can tell. So I I, I regret not having traveled to uh, Britain during one of those weeks. Yeah. So Fantastic it. Voyage actually a uh, an American. Um, Oddly, an American uh, series, considering that that Donald Pleasance is sort of right. the, the lead actor. It's also got a young Raquel Welsh. Uh, oh wow! Playing the I just watched the trailer actually just before we, we spoke, and it's like you know four scientists and one beautiful girl. Um, <laughs> and they, they, they get star that trailer on YouTube <laughs> now. <laughs> and they uh, watch they get later. yeah. <laughs> anyway, go on. You got it. No, it's good. Uh, you, they, they, so they get miniaturized. They, they have to save this. Uh, they have to save the world basically by uh, uh, curing a, bla- a brain clot inside the mind of a famous scientist. Um, and it was actually made into a a better novel, a novelization of the movie by Isaac Asimov. Nice. Uh, a lot of a lot of people think it was the other way around. Um, well, but yeah, this, so they they miniaturized the ship. Yeah. Um, and you can tell that Invisible Enemy actually took its cues from Fantastic Voyage because when they uh, when they emerge, they emerge from the the tear duct. Oh, in both in both stories. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah, very... I um I I think Invisible Enemy was my first taste of this kind of uh, idea. And um, but I will always have a special place in my heart for inner space, which was mm. I thought like as a kid just uh, an awesome story. Um, obviously, it was more of a comedy, um, but I mean, I just remember thinking like it really held together in terms of like how they were trying to uh, sort of explain and make this sort of a plausible thing that the, a person in a ship was inside another person. So in Invisible Enemy. <laughs> I mean, well, for, put, just putting aside the injection into the doctor for a second, like the cloning, okay, there's this it, talk about how it's just a parlor trick that for some reason the clones will like evaporate, I guess, after like about 10 minutes. Yeah, it's not clear what happens to the clones after, well, it, after 10 minutes. And there's it? a bit where like there's some throwaway dialogue from Professor Marius where he's like, oh yeah, we can we can clone both their genes and their experience so like they'll have the same memories with no explanation of really how that's done. And they get formed in the clone chamber, fully formed with clothes, <laughs> with the same clothes that the people have. Excellent points. And they just <laughs> and what the doctor, the clone doctor, just kind of walks out, and you know, uh, and goes to get it like a TARDIS component. And they're, they're like they they say this in the dialogue a few times that it's like oh the the, the clone only lasts about ten like 10 or 11 minutes. Mm. And he, he has, he, in the time the clone's alive, he, he, he walks out, goes to the TARDIS, you know, disconnects something, comes back, hooks it up to the, the chamber he was in. So it becomes a shrinking chamber essentially. <laughs> and then shrinks the two of them, gets them injected into the, the doctor's brain. He, he and the Leela clone. And then there's a whole ultimatum from, uh, low about things, and then I, I, I can't. At some point, the guy goes, "Well, he's got eight minutes to go." <laughs> <laughs> that was a speedy two minutes. Wait, what? Yeah, it's just like how we. 
okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a really speedy elevator that took him back to the TARDIS and and, and back to the uh, operating theater. And, well, and just, the, uh, yeah. the dimensional stabilizer, whatever, that's clearly plug and play, man. That's that's like a hot swappable <laughs> component in the in the TARDIS. It's like it's like RAM. You can just just take it out of the bag. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like those old those Mac Pros where you just crack oh. them up and pull it out. Oh, it's fantastic. I love it. I mean, it's just so cheesy and so it doesn't make sense. And they're so brash about it anyway. They don't care. They're just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's 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 almost a, a Mad Libs way of, yeah. of producing Doctor Who. And there's a clone. But you got to say that, you know, at least the, the fourth Doctor is way more efficient about, you know, producing a an extra version of himself without wasting a regeneration. Yeah, the, well, there you go. The tenth Doctor was. Smart. You know. Uh, but yeah, I got to say, like, I mean, I got to stop here and say, like, yeah, this is all kind of ridiculous and nonsensical on some levels. But I mean, this is also so great. I mean, it's this is kind of exactly what I was talking about earlier, where the, the story just starts going in these crazy, weird, interesting sci-fi directions and just pulls out it like just when you're getting thinking it's going to you, you've got a grip on the story. It's like, boom. Oh, we have clones, too. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, not only do we have a robot dog and this intelligent virus, we we got clones and we're going to throw that in and we're going to do this sort of, like you say, this fantastic voyage inner space thing mm. uh, on top of the, the sort of virus threat infection thing. And it's just like, your, your mind is just like, whoa. like, I remember as a kid, I was like, whoa, man, this is like <laughs> cool sci-fi layer on top of cool sci-fi layer on top of cool sci-fi layer. I'm just like, I am, I am here for it. <laughs> yes, if you accept once you accept those premises, it's it's a wonderful mashup, um, and actually, you know, for for all we we laugh about the the cloning situation and the uh, the the lack of believability of that in Fantastic Voyage, there's a giant plot hole uh, that that they uh, wisely avoid here, which is that the the ship that they travel into the professor's body uh, remains inside afterwards. They they keep being told that they're going to. You know, it's it's not that they have to, uh, you know, uh, resize it after the adventure. It's that the the ship that is carrying them into his bloodstream will itself return to normal size after X number of minutes. I don't think it's ten minutes, but it is. You know, they're, they're on the clock. Um, oh wow! And then they they escape through the tear duct in that movie, but they leave the ship behind. So and... presumably. <laughs> Something. It's going to be a, a rough morning for that guy. <laughs> oh God, my head feels like it's got a ship in it. Um, yeah. So they they sort of accidentally killed the guy. I mean, well, Isaac Asimov had to had to change that detail for the novelization because he was like, no, that this does not make sense. Well, Let's it's it's this. just so funny how many details here are just utterly ignored. Like, there's no ship. Mm. They're just in yep. the syringe. And then I love how she there's they actually I'm glad they addressed it in dialogue. Leela asks him like, "Why aren't we wet?" She's like, "Oh, we're too small to break the surface tension," which is like, uh, "Okay," which you know <laughs> might actually make some sense. But it's also mm. like a clearly you, you know they didn't want to just ruin the costumes by having them jump in water, and then like now nah, we got to use those again next week. So yeah, and they're strolling around different locations. I think where, where do they start off? Is it the heart? No, they they were injected into his brain. So oh, they injected in directly brain. into the brain. Okay, I think I don't know. That's that seemed like where he he was injected into his head, at least sort of the back of his neck or something. Okay, uh, well that and, that makes more sense now because it would definitely take you more than ten minutes or eight minutes that he has left to to stroll from 
when you're microscopic to stroll from the heart all, all the way up to the brain. That's so uh... they're they're walking around. <laughs> they're strolling around where you know apparently there's some light uh, <laughs> in the doctor's head. And then as as Doctor Who monsters go, I'm not sure if there's anything quite <laughs> as bad as the doctor's phagocytes. It was there's like these really, I mean, <laughs> these ball like things that just got they look like those ah. sort of popcorn balls you sometimes see on Christmas trees, just sort of well, enlarged, and they're kind of bouncy. I, my immediate thought about those balls was the prisoner. Yeah, well, have, Rover, have sure, yeah, yeah, I yeah. So, so these are baby rovers. Yeah, except those were actually kind of like with the with the sound and what they you know. They were a little bit scary when you kind of saw that um, you had someone's sort of hands and face kind of pushing mm-hmm. out from it, you know, like like mm-hmm. they were being enveloped. Whereas these were just kind of like these big styrofoam balls just like bouncing on you. <laughs> that was yes. like fun, man. That looks like some production like play staff just off screen, just sort of you know basically hitting Louise Jameson with with white balls. It's you know white balloons it's just very very odd yeah and like it's basically like you're right it's rover but it's poor man's rover which was already a poor man's version <laughs> of some other terrifying thing uh and the prisoner sort of barely got away with it they do not get away with it here um so anyway now then something interesting happens and the bad guys in the hospital actually take over k9 with the virus for a second which makes no sense but is like yeah. you kind of get that like OMG, what? Like, you're just like... I mean, like this is the thing about novel viruses, right? We don't know their, their infection path. And they then, can leap from human to robot dog to human. But you're just like starting to like K9, and K9's getting taken over, and he's evil K9, but only for like a minute. Mm. Which I guess makes sense, because I don't know, that K9 antivirus program. You know? <laughs> Well, maybe they they sense that he's uh, he's running on about ten percent battery yeah. at this point, and they're like, "Oh, better better hop it before they trap us here." So then they do that that sort of expected um, yet you know upon reflection kind of dumb sci fi thing where Leela uh, in the real world gets hit on the head uh, because of the canine mm. is about to kill her because he's taken over the virus, and then the clone of Leela feels it, which. In in a 1970s 1980s sci-fi world, kind of makes sense, but really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why why wouldn't I mean, we we never actually see the clones die, right? They they just we, stop they just, appearing. They just suddenly evaporate. Yeah, um, and this is this is kind of brings us to the the climax of the episode. So there's there's a lot of stuff we could pick at in in. Like what happens in the doctor's brain? I mean, like I say, it's essentially a coroner's episode, except it's it's uh, neurons. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. There's that bit where he he encounters the 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 black, the completely empty part of his uh, mind, or or he switches from brain to mind, or, or something something kind of philosophical, yeah, and existential no, they, happens. They were definitely trying to make some kind of point there. Like this yeah. is. Um, Oh, I forget what he says. He's like where logic and ima- imagination meet. And mm. it is actually worth sort of talking about a bit because I think this is it's interesting because even though it's ridiculous from a from a medicine standpoint, this is Doctor Who biology and Doctor Who science, right? And this is it at almost yep. at its best because you know, presumably this is kind of like 
you know, where you'd inject your Dalek factor or or whatever. But I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is kind of how Doctor Who does it, and it gets away with it, it, it really well. Like it sort of spells things out. It has points of view on on uh, you know how how its universe works, um, right? And you, this, this is really kind of like the show logic you have to buy into to really appreciate it because yeah it's it's you know basic and also very um but it's also like you know the, like it is more driven by philosophy but there is there is a point to it um so yeah there's there's well it feels like they're reaching for a point yeah um, here, here it's not, not perhaps sure the best the best example but Good. it's it is an example it's a sort of a textbook example mm. of doctor who science Yes, and and they they so they say that that the doctor's got to step off into this black void of imagination, but then in the next scene he's he's just encountering the virus, or encountering the nucleus of the virus. Yeah, well, and it's this gets really weird and all, sort of unclear even as a sequence of events because it's like yeah, the clones encounter the, the nucleus and it's just this black thing with a claw coming out of it and it looks really weird. <laughs> And it looks like it kind of has eyes, but maybe not. It's, it's then, a trash bag with, with a claw. It's yeah. fantastic. And so the doctor's talking to it. They have a back and forth. They have they have another sort of philosophical discussion about who has um, more right to live. And the, the virus is just trying to survive and spread. Um, yeah, the doctor is oddly pro-virus in this uh, in this over, over the whole arc of this serial. It's yeah, like the, he says something actually in the next episode where it says, "Well, it has every right to exist as a virus," which mm. I kind of stopped me in my tracks. I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> How about yeah?" No? In the middle of a pandemic, that's not uh, you're not going to get sympathy from your audience uh, certainly right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but what happens in the the cliffhanger for episode three? There's this sort of back and forth. Leela shows up with a gun, which apparently she stole from the low, who the clone low. I mean, obviously, you know, it worked for the doctor, so we're going to clone ourselves and chase him in his own brain, which again, kind of nuts. But you know what? Hey, I actually like it. Um, yeah. And Leela gets the gun. What happens? And it's it, very odd. Ostensibly, it looks like they shot the um, the nucleus just as they were about to evaporate. So they evaporate, uh, and then they come out of the tear duct uh, or they seemingly do, but it's actually, it's actually the nucleus. It actually, yes. you know, say they, they, and even the bad guys don't know this. They're like, Oh, we're just going to enlarge the doctor and Leela to interrogate them. And I like, go oh, surprise. Now and the, the nucleus is somehow, And it's somehow become a giant shrimp. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the other thing. What? Where did it get <laughs> the extra eyes? And like, what, what's, it once I was just a bin bag. Now I'm a giant prawn. And I, I gotta unpack that decision. It's it's weird. I, were they trying to do something in that surprise you with how it looked at right at the end there as the cliffhanger? Because yeah. I think I think the cliffhanger is it's just that it's big now. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like I I think it would have been more effective and less confusing if it was it, they had that shrimp thing talking to the doctor. And you, you, while you fully understand while he's talking to him, oh, this is this is microscopic. It's tiny, and then you're freaked out because then it's 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 you know here for, here for dinner. Like it's part of it's it's a cocktail party. It's like oh, the virus. <laughs> yeah, shrimp cocktail. 
Ah, hey, hey. see what you did there. <laughs> it's what, what, what I love about the the shrimp at the beginning of episode four is the it's standing by low and and two of his uh, minions, and they have to they have to prop it up because the the monster itself is in danger of falling over on the set, and you see them sort of subtly trying to. <laughs> Yeah, well, as it moves like forward, like they have to lift it a little bit. There's even there's even the doctor even makes fun of that, which you know the Tom Baker was kind of mm-hmm. famous for for a couple of instances, and says like, "Oh, having fun in the macro world a little hard," and <laughs> it's like, yeah, it seems like it, and this is kind of where like, um, again, I remember as a kid, this is this is like super terrifying. Oh my god, the virus is going to be everywhere, and and, and and not everywhere, but big, and. <laughs> Um, you're, it just doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like, wait a minute. How does it infect anything? Like, it doesn't even make any sense that what what would it do is a big thing because it can't even really move. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it can wave its pincers around. Yeah, it's, it's basically an order around that everyone must go faster. We must go faster because that's basically it. Spends a good chunk of the the next episode ordering yep. people to go faster. So because it has to go back to Titan. To spawn yes. apparently because yes, it's suitable. A, a new CEO has come has come in. The the OKRs have changed. Exactly. And <laughs> now the objective is all about securing the new HQ. Um, yeah, it's really odd. And I noticed, you know, the, a, a wonderful detail. And I guess yeah, Tom, Tom Baker was was kind of famous for just messing around with the monsters. But here you see him, like the the the, the shrimp has these hairs or antennae sticking out right like lots of white hairs coming out and and he's just sort of playing with them as he as he says oh you megalomaniac you know he's kind of just <laughs> sort of uh bouncing these antennae off his head because they were you know drooping down into his face they're right there so why wouldn't he uh, so the good thing the good thing about the virus um, now being real and big, uh, other than being kind of mind blowing on a lot of levels, is that the doctor's okay now, mm. and he uh quickly runs out to get the TARDIS going. There's a lot of back and forth because he has left his you know dimensional component or whatever it is in the the cloning tank. Yes, uh, he's got to go get that. Um, so it takes a while, which gives the nucleus time to get back and start laying eggs. Um. And they take the TARDIS back to the Titan as well. And I thought this was really funny when the guy in the room where the TARDIS is materializing decides to leave the room. Like as soon as the TARDIS like starts to appear, which I found to be a very odd choice. Like I can't handle this. And my my daughter actually said the word like scaredy cat. (laughs) When he he leaves. And apparently, apparently he's thinking he's going to get the jump on them on the other side of the door, uh, which, you know, spoiler alert, does not work. Mm. And, um, but it, there is a cool moment where Leela's keeps shooting him with the thing, and it, it doesn't, it's or it doesn't it doesn't not affect him, but it doesn't affect him much. And uh, it sort of gets a, that sort of more climactic feel of like, oh yeah, the enemies are adapting, they're getting stronger. Uh, I quite like that. Um, of course, it also gives K9 a chance to be kind of the badass because even though Leela's sort of lame blaster doesn't really do much, K9 has, hey man, he has nose. 
It's, yes, he's tough, and he he you know once once K nine shoots him, he's down for the count. Although the the camera does shift a little at the end, kind of ruining that effect, and the the laser beam kind of moves down and like it's coming out of his mouth. But but yes, it is a better special effect and definitely a better blaster than the the regular blasters that they have. Just sort of make a red diamond appear, right? Um, on the person that you're shooting, so you can kind of tell like their their pitch is a little higher. You can always tell yeah. when some something's pitch is a little higher. You need a little more bass if you're going to do damage. <laughs> you got to be like a little lower on the the octaves there, like because the canines goes goes like a little. It's a little. It's definitely lower. Those other ones are like, you know, like that's that's. But I just thing. again, I just not not to compare this with Star Wars because massively different budgets, but just you know compare the the stormtrooper blaster fire with these little red diamonds. Yeah. Uh, the, Which was the, the norm the for, us. for for probably yeah. another six or seven years on Doctor Who. You really, honestly, yeah, like you much. didn't really get much in the way of special effects until, um, you know, in the new, in the old series, I think the mm. it was Remembrance of the Daleks, which was almost towards the end. You finally got some decent blaster fire. Uh, it took a long yeah. time. And, and that was like the entire budget of that season, I believe. <laughs> So. Yeah, and the, and the doctor picks up a blaster here, and it's not entirely like for a moment you're like, "Is wait, is the doctor going to use a gun?" It's a little yeah. weird. It's not entirely clear what he's going to do with it. Yeah, I there, I believe there's been some um, some roundups of the number of times the doctor's like picked up a gun or used a gun. Mm. Um, there's been a few. I mean, it's not it's not like it's never happened, but it's uh, it's always a. It's always a choice. You can always, you can always kind of, ex- usually kind of explain it away. But in the Tom Baker era, I mm. think it was a bit of a, a, a style decision, a bit on sort of Robert Holmes and, and Philip Hitchcliffe, and they, I think, were were influenced a little bit by you know James Bond and mm. um, especially like stories like The Seeds of Doom. You had uh, you had a little more of a spy slash, um, I don't know. Cold War ish thing going right. on, so I think it was just a little more. The morality wasn't really like front and center the way it is mm. uh, now today. But K nine is certainly the uh, the the smartest weapon to use here. But he th- that last blastify is basically what what um what drains his battery. Yeah, for the final time. Yeah, and he um he actually has to get dragged. <laughs> a couple yeah, the times, doctor which... whips out a leash, which. Apparently he was just carrying. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I would love to see a cross-section of the Doctor's pockets, the fourth Doctor's pockets, because obviously he's carrying jelly babies well, in there somewhere. And you can tell they're clearly figuring out K9, because I, I don't think they've ever done that before or since. I mean, well, obviously not before, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like, eh, like K9, like we have to fake it at least, guys. Even if you can't really keep up with people, like... Um, what they did do a couple times, which also didn't work that well, was just picking him up. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, canine, not the most mobile of props. Um, uh, speaking of violence and guns and stuff, um, Leela outright stabs a guy toward the end of this, which I was yes, like, whoa, like, I kind of was taken aback by that. I mean, there's one, where's the blood? And obviously there's no, you know, it's a freaking family show. They're not going to show the blood. But I was, just, it was like, she just like, goes to town on that guy's neck and i'm just like whoa wait yep. a minute straighten the jugular um so no the um the nucleus is spawning it's taken a little while uh we've seen the eggs a few times they've started to hatch but what i found disappointing was that we never see them hatch 
You know, you never have that moment where mm. it's like they're even starting to wake up just a little bit. Like even when there was that massive Dalek army in, in some Pertwee episode and Planet of the Daleks, and yeah, they were all models and, you know, they were all kind of like just being, you know, pushed along by strings mm. or whatever. Um, you at least had them moving around when they were waking up. Yeah. And uh, here, yeah, you, we never you got to see, see the... what they what they look like. Are they all little little shrimps? Yeah. And uh, so they're all all these. Instead, we get a bunch of you know Cadbury Easter cream eggs in a painted green <laughs> in a in a slime pit, and. <laughs> The uh, the doctor MacGyver's up a gun to the door where the nucleus is at, so it rigs it up to blow up the oxygen tanks, and uh, hightails it out of there. He just gets in the TARDIS yep. and disappears, and then they do the the, the gag of Leela still being there and yelling, "Hey, you know, doctor!" <laughs> she comes back, rematerializes, gets her and canine. Ho ho ho! Let's get out of here, and the whole place blows up, um, which is you yeah, know, a rather kind of crude weird. solution, unfortunately. Uh, to almost something... almost uh, Hartnell-esque in a sort of, you know, uh, or Capaldi-esque thing, kind of like that maybe the Doctor is being a bit cowardly. Yeah, know? cowardly, uh, violent. It's, it's kind of a dissatisfying mm. ending, unfortunately. It really kind of falls mm. apart, having gone into all these different sort of interesting directions here and there throughout. Um, that really falls apart, but just kind of stops. Just kind of like, all right, well, we're done with this. Let's just blow it all up. Uh, which is, you know, probably more the writer saying that than than any of the characters. Yeah, uh, and it makes it simple, I guess. But it's a little like, oh, okay. And then they just sort of shoehorn in. So, what, actually, we, we we should talk about the fact that K nine just was was happy to shoot the infected version of his master, Professor Marius. Um, yes. No compunction about that at all, which I thought was a little weird. Yeah. Like, you know, he should surely still rec- recognize him as his master. Anyway, well, he was actually he ready to Marius kill him because it was like the doctor yeah. was, like, was asking him, like, could you, you mind pulling that? Pull axe, Marius. That was his, his, his expression. Yes. And the canine's like, yeah, I can do four or five different, I could kill or stun. Like, so, no, 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 canine. <laughs> Just knock him out. Like, yeah. He seemed really into killing his master there for a second. Like, yeah, I could totally kill him. You want me to kill him? Just yeah. ask me to kill him. Right. Master. I can do it. Robot dogs have been put down for less. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they shoehorn in them taking canine. That, and it's Which funny, is like, so weird. Did you catch... Because we've been told that Professor Marius is like, he created this dog because he couldn't have a dog up there in Space Hospital because of the, the weight constrictions. Yeah, well, he's, uh, he's saying, like, I'm going to go back to Earth, but it's like you can't, you know, they don't allow robot dogs on Earth. I mean, what's what Yeah, which is weird because he's told us in episode two that he had a dog on Earth, yeah. and that's why he built K-9 in the first place. So, yeah, the whole, I had no idea. But did you catch uh, that when it, it's sort of probably just a fluff or something, but... When Marius asked him to take K nine, the doctor actually mutters no. Like says he does. No. And it's like and it's Leela who begs him, please, 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 and this like, can we keep him kind of way? And it's like and then <laughs> I of promise course, I'll it's take a, him for walks. It's a it's a real slide whistle ending with I only hope he's TARDIS trained. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so, yeah, I mean, it's this is your dog, dude. And you just gave it to the first guy who walks past. Yeah. Ah, uh, I had no idea that Canine had such a, a weird um, introduction to the series. That, you know, the, the dog... I mean, I, I, at least it was something I sort of half expected with the, the logic this, this whole story was showing that, that the Doctor would end up just sort of... Um, kidnapping canine and forgetting about marius or right he sort of you know which would mean that canine would still be on permanent loan you know or still be a stolen a stolen dog and a stolen tardis well it's uh, almost like it, i guess they wanted to keep it light but the dark yeah. version of this is like marius just becomes one of the dead yeah. you know and then canine has no master it's like okay let's uh you know let's adopt let's adopt a robot dog and see how that, that goes work. that I mean, would work it's all set up for that, seemingly. It's just, I don't know. I uh, they they, I guess they did not want to go on the full tragedy on uh, on this one. I mean, even though it's gone that way many many other times, I think it was really mm. probably just a tone decision that right. they did it this way. I mean, clearly they were going for <laughs> going for some kind of laugh at the end there. Um, Tardis trained. Yeah, well, at least Canine. You know, I gotta say, as a debut episode, it's not too bad. Um, you do get a good feel for Canine. You know, there's good rapport between him and the Doctor. I, yeah. it, there's the tension oh, yeah. between him and Leela. That he's, uh, he's clearly the MVP. Yeah, like he he does he does a great job. So you know, and it's interesting that, because the the timing. You know, I've I've seen it written in in various uh, Doctor Who related articles. That canine was it was a response to Star Wars, you know that. Um, Interesting. Doctor Who, like they, they saw Star Wars and they were like, "Oh, R two D two, we need something like that," and then they invented canine. But the timeline doesn't work, right? This was filmed in April seventy seven. Um, Star Wars didn't come out in the US till the following month. Didn't actually come out to the UK till seventy eight. Um, so if anything, Lucas stole from. Yeah. Doctor Who, man. <laughs> well, Which I I am pretty sure this is going off on a slight tangent and into my my Star Wars persona, but um, I'm pretty sure that Lucas stole his his view of cyberspace, uh, uh, hyperspace, you know, which you see through the window of the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars, and it's it's a blue time tunnel, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I mean, and there he was. Uh, before making that special effect, there they he was in the UK, stuck in his hotel room on weekends, you know, being miserable. Um, what else would he do but watch Doctor Who? Exactly. I, uh, I, I like that theory. Mm -hmm. Let's go with it. Yeah. I just, I, I'll just say that Darth Vader looks a lot like a Dalek. <laughs> he does a go. little. Yeah. There's, there's some lineage there. Um, um, so, but yeah, so that's the beginning of Mark One Canine, right? We we have the, there's a Mark Two and a Mark Three. Yeah, at least. Oh my God! I, surely we're up to like four or five by now. Um, <laughs> Mark Three. Sarah that's Jane. the current one, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Sarah Mark, Jane got the Mark Three. And then there was like a Canine. Anyway, we don't have to. <laughs> the history of Canine, a podcast coming soon. Uh, we'll we'll throw that one together, but. Um, Chris, I mean, what did you think of this as just kind of a, a a riff on disease? Does it have? Did you find any theme takeaway that is a bit relevant today? Uh, you, uh, the six foot 
staying six foot away from people who say <laughs> contact has been made. Uh, yes. Do not make contact. I think that that is that is the moral of the story. Um, and if, if, if only the virus that we're currently dealing with would give people bushy white eyebrows. Uh, so we could we could tell that they've been infected. I think that that would be uh, marvelous. Um, yeah, I would say like, yeah. if only we could make invisible enemies super big. Because mm. if they, when they're visible, <laughs> they look totally lame. And it's like I could take you, dude. What are you talking if about? If only, here? if only we could clone Doctor Fauci and shrink him, <laughs> and send him inside the bloodstream. Oh my God! To... I think you just wrote the ultimate onion blurb. <laughs> For COVID. <laughs> that would be great i totally want to see that um be a great way to uh burnish his image i think okay um, man well this has been yeah. great talking about uh some classic who with you uh very apt yeah um maybe uh, i think so you know there's there's a there's a doctor who episode for everything i i i maintain that and uh you know if, if we're going to be in lockdown uh, for X number of weeks, and we still, at the point that this podcast is being recorded, don't know how many weeks we're we're going to be stuck inside our homes for. Um, it's it's nice to watch something that I think brings a bit of uh, levity to the situation. And what better than than cheesy seventies Doctor Who for that? Absolutely, the cheesy seventies Doctor Who will make it feel like you are not stuck in a Time Lord confession dial during all this uh, all this time. Well, thank you all for listening to Pull to Open. Uh, we hope you enjoyed reminiscing and uh, talking about our favorite show and the classic episode, The Invisible Enemy. Uh, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We, uh, both places we are at Pull to Open 63. Real Whovians know. Yes. Um, you can follow me at Pete Paschal, that's P-A-C-H-A-L. Uh, where can people find you, Chris? They can find me at FutureBoy on Twitter, uh, FutureChris on Instagram, and uh, everything I do at Mashable.com. Awesome. Uh, so thanks for listening. Please leave us a review. We love reviews. Uh, let us know if you love it, if you hate it, if you indifferent to it. Hey, it all helps. Hit us up on uh, the Twitters or the Instagrams or go ahead. Just say hi uh, next time you see us on your uh, Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, and, and let us know what you'd like us to watch so you don't have to. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, we've taken requests. Here at Pulse Open. All right. Take care, everyone.